I mean, he's been putting in work for so long. Putting in a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Putting In Work, episode 98 of the interview podcast on the 8-Bit Collective, powered by Audio-Technica. I'm your host, John O'Peck, and this week we have Tony Thaxton on the show. You might know him as the drummer from Motion City Soundtrack, one of my favorite bands of all time. If you don't know Motion City Soundtrack, it's probably a good opportunity for me to play some of their music rather than talk about them, but they've been a major part of my life for a long time and Tony's an essential part of that group. And this interview really was a special thing for me. I've been a fan of Motion City Soundtrack since 2004. Seen them live about five times, which is pretty big for an international band. It's pretty much every time they've visited Australia. And I was really cut when Tony had to leave the band because of some mental health stuff he was going through, but really pleased that he could come back for their farewell tour when they broke up in 2016. So it was amazing to actually get to talk to Tony about this band and the journey they've been on, signing with Epitaph Records after their first album and going from playing in basements to arenas, supporting bands like Jimmy Eat World and Blink-182 and getting played on MTV and doing the Warped Tour. And through that, it was really great to talk to Tony and kind of hear about that side of being a musician that a lot of people just wouldn't see and and how the reality is often different from the image that we perceive of these bands that are big enough to tour internationally but you know a lot of them are still grinding it out and, and not living the glamorous life that we assume. Since parting ways with the band he's now drumming with his wife in an outfit called Tiny Stills. He's a drummer for hire so he's been able to drum for Weird Al Yankovic. He does a lot of podcast engineering and producing. He's got his own podcast. He's got a Christmas music podcast called Feliz Navipod. Merry Christmas, everybody out there. He makes Star Wars satire or parodies, but that's Cloud City soundtrack. They can both be supported over on Patreon. So here's Tony Thaxton. Enjoy the show. Tony, usually I start by saying thank you for coming on the podcast, but for you, I feel like I have to say thank you for so much more because you have been a part of my life without knowing me personally for like 15 years or so. So thank you for all the music and for being an amazing drummer. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, my pleasure to be here. Um, if you want to keep saying thank you, we can just do that for like the next hour or so, though. That would be good. Well, yeah, that's a cycle we could get stuck in quite easily. Ah, <laughs> uh... uh, we won't do. That. I don't. Th- I don't think that would be fun listening for anybody. <laughs> no, probably not. Probably not. So, you are. I just need to set the table here. You're my second favorite drummer. I think that's pretty Uh-oh. pretty impressive. Like you don't have to be number one. You can't all be Travis Barker. Okay, so I was I was gonna say who is number one. There you go. If you, if, right. I mean, is being second to Travis like is that permissible? Nope, I'm I'm highly offended. <laughs> <laughs> but I will tell you that "Commit This to Memory" is my favorite album of all time, and I feel like it will be till the day I die because I'm an old man now who doesn't listen to new music. So you've got that. I know that feeling well. Uh, not not that not the favorite <laughs> album part, but the old man who doesn't like a lot of new music. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm terrible with yeah. new music, and uh, I think I have been for a while. Uh, but no, thank you very much. That's very nice. And uh, yeah, I will take second to Travis. That's very high praise. <laughs> it's okay. And I mean, you might have like one of my favorite drumming tracks of all time with uh, Time Turned Fragile. So that's that's another one to throw up there too. Thank you. So now that we've established that uh, I'm a fanboy and I'm wearing my Motion City soundtrack t-shirt, yeah, which is are. very lame, but I just wanted, I wanted to pay tribute. Let's get into a bit about yourself. Obviously, you are a career drummer. You've been drumming for probably 20 years or longer. But I want to go back to the start. Let's go back to like high school Tony. 
were you like in the marching band at school? Were you drumming in high school bands? What was your like first thought that you could do this for a career? It uh, it goes back earlier than that because my dad played drums and uh, he still does a little bit, but not not too much anymore. But he he just played in like cover bands, a, a cover band for a long time on the weekends and stuff. So I just kind of grew up around playing a little bit and uh, and bands because of just seeing his band play all the time. So when I was really young, I had like a little kid drum set that just kind of uh, I would just bang on, didn't really make sense of it. And over time, that just kind of, without anyone showing me, he didn't really like teach me or anything. I just kind of picked up on things from watching him and watching other drummers. It's like, you know, that was the heyday of MTV and everything because, again, I'm an old man. And uh, (laughs) so I was just around it and doing that. But then I outgrew the little kid drum set. And then I was at this in-between phase for a while where I was too big for those drums. And my dad's drums were just never at our house because he pretty much played every Friday and Saturday night. So I think he just kept his drums at like one of his bandmates' house or something like that. And then when I was about to start high school... My family moved. Um, I grew up in Michigan originally, which is a, a state in the for for you non-U.S. folks. Uh, that is a state in the Midwest and uh, the glove. Yes, exactly. There you go. I don't. I don't know. I don't know what 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 uh, what's known when you don't uh, live here. Um, <laughs> so uh, my family moved to Virginia, which is on the East Coast. And when that happened, uh, my dad wasn't playing in a band anymore. And his drums came with us, so then uh, the drums were just at the house. And I started playing all the time because I had just moved. I didn't really have any friends yet. And so I just was playing because I just didn't really have anything else to do. And I hadn't gotten to play in years. So started playing a lot. That kind of took over my life. Coincidentally... When I moved, when I started high school, the first friend that I made at my new school was Matt Taylor, oh, wow. who went on to be the bass player of Motion City. Eventually, like we we initially didn't bond over music, I don't think, but eventually we, you know, got to be better friends and started talking about music, and then found out that uh, he played as well and. Uh, over time, he started coming over to my house, and and we would just mess around. Like he he wasn't really playing bass yet. Uh, he played trumpet in the school band, and then uh, would like mess around a little bit on guitar, which I also liked messing around on guitar a little. was wasn't great, but I I could mess around some. And uh, over the next year or so, he had said to me that I should join the school band because he was saying that uh, they needed more drummers but I wasn't into that idea at first mostly because I did not know how to read music at all because I had just been self-taught for years so I eventually started taking lessons really just for the sole purpose of learning how to read music in my junior year then I started uh, playing in more in the actual band then I started doing marching band and then I had to do like symphonic band and that stuff. And then fast forward then to my senior year and I was playing in like the jazz band, the symphonic band, the marching band, playing for the show choir. And then also like playing in band, like high school bands, like with my friends and everything, like my first rock bands and stuff like that. 
So yeah, it was it was a huge part of uh, my growing up, and then especially in high school. And that was a very long answer, and I'm sorry about that. No, that's good. That's uh, it's the origin story. So now we know where you've come from, and and I guess what was the point where you realized this is something that could be more than a hobby. This is, could be a career, and it could be something I can pursue more seriously. Someone can hopefully pay me for it. I don't know. I I think probably some point, maybe more so in like my probably around my senior year was when I started when it like really really took over my life I don't know that I ever really thought that I would be able to do it for a living um it was something that I enjoyed doing and it was it was and still is one of the only things I've ever really felt like I was any good at doing (laughs) like I don't really know how to do anything so um you know it was like oh this I'm not gonna say it comes natural to me but like more so than most other things. And, uh, yeah, it had become such a part of my life because I was my senior year of high school, something like five of my seven classes that I, cause I, I had already like filled most of my like academic requirements by the time I'd gotten to my senior year. So most of my classes in my senior year of high school were just band classes. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so that was most of my school day. And then when I wasn't at school, then I was also playing with my friends and, uh, and then, yeah, like the, the, my old band in high school, like started taking that more and more seriously. And yeah, it just, it just kind of became like, I, I don't even know that I was necessarily thinking, Oh, I could do this for a living. It seemed like such a pipe dream kind of thing, but, uh, I was just like, I don't know. I'm just going to do this and just, we'll just see what happens. Sure. So were there bands before motion city that you were being paid basically full-time to to perform in or was that really when it hit for you yeah i don't ever remember really getting paid to play like getting paid to play music was very rare for a very long time it was almost always for just for fun like playing at parties and that kind of thing yeah exactly and even even you know playing like actual clubs around in richmond virginia where i was living like you know we'd get to play some like decent shows here and there but like you know, we didn't hardly ever get paid. Again, it was just it was just fun, and you hope to play to people and have some fun and just keep doing that. And then eventually, we that old band. Uh, this was a band called Submerge, which was that was my first real band. Uh, Sounds like a grunge band to me. Yeah, a lot of people think it was a hardcore <laughs> band with that name, but it, it, we weren't a hardcore band. But uh, I'm actually still like very proud of that band. Um, we did a couple of records, one of which I'm proud of, one of which we were very... Our, our first one, we were still in high school and very young, and it's not great. But the the second record we made, uh, we made a record called East Meet West. I think it's on Bandcamp somewhere. Um, nice. I'm still, I'm still to this day proud of that record. And that was a thing. We started doing some touring a little bit. We stayed together for a really long time. Like, we still hung out, hung around for another, like, four... We were together for a couple years in high school, and then we still were together for another, like, four years after that and actually started doing a little bit small tours and stuff like that. And uh, that was actually where I ended up meeting the then lineup of motion city soundtrack uh submerge played a show in pennsylvania to i don't know like four people or something and (laughs) and it was it was our second tour ever and it was uh this this kind of a not even the very initial but one of the initial lineups of motion city also played this show and uh that was their first tour 
so yeah, met them then. That was the year 2000. Eventually, you know, our band broke up. They lost some band members and it kind of all came together. That's the somewhat condensed version. Okay. So was it like, hey, Matt, do you remember those guys we met at that show from Minneapolis? Like, should we see what they're up to? Like, how did Motion City Soundtrack come together as a unit? Uh, Well, let's see. So at that time, Motion City was Josh and Justin, the two guitar players. They were the only two that uh, were in the band at that point. They had a different bass player and a different drummer. And Justin at that time was... Not only the singer and guitarist, but he was also occasionally playing the keyboard parts. Mm-hmm. So they came to me after Submerge had broken up, and I was kind of this was back in the uh, instant messenger AOL instant messenger days, yeah. and uh, I would talk to Josh occasionally online uh, late at night, and he kind of told me what was going on. They were trying to make a record. Well, they I think they had started to make a record. And it, they just weren't happy with it. And the drummer that they had ended up leaving. I think they had already gone through two drummers, I think, by the since I had known them in the short amount of time. The new drummer ended up leaving. And so I was telling him what was going on with us. And then, you know, he kind of threw out that they would be down to have me play. And I was intrigued. I didn't quite know what to think at first. Eventually, what happened was I said, yeah, okay, because I, I was at a, this in-between point in my life where I didn't know what was next for me. I was uh, several years out of high school. Uh, my band that I was really into broke up, and then I was just working this shitty warehouse job and didn't know where life was headed. And uh, So I was like, all right, yeah, I'll do this, because they were starting to tour and, and uh, taking things pretty serious, and... I thought there was some potential there, and I felt like uh, I, I knew I know what I like uh, music wise. I know what I like, and like also like drum wise, I I can I I don't know. I can hear things and be like, oh, I I, I think I'm not one to get an ego much with things, but I feel like sometimes I can hear music and I'm like, I can I can do something with this, and I kind of felt that way. So I said, yeah. I said, I'll do it. And without any exaggeration, as soon as I hung up the phone, I had this conversation with Josh. As soon as I hung up the phone with him, I immediately had this sinking feeling in my stomach. And I was like, <laughs> I don't I don't think I can do this. I just said that I would do it. And I don't know if I really want to do this. Was it about like moving, like relocating or what was the Well, I up? wasn't even going to relocate necessarily. I was going to... Because tours at that point were going to kind of be like maybe once every couple months or something. So it was going to be like I would fly out to do a tour or, and uh, and then do the tour and come home. So I wasn't going to move. I was going to be there like for some rehearsals maybe and then do a tour. But it was just, I don't know, I can't even explain it. It was just this gut feeling that I had that I was like, I don't think this is the right time. I thought it was, but then as after I said all of it out loud, I wasn't so sure. Um, right. so like a coward <laughs> and I don't call him back. I just send him an email and I was like, you know, I'm sorry, but I actually, I don't think this is the right time for me. I'm really sorry. Um, so they say, okay. Um, and so, and that's that. And they get a, a new guy. They do their thing. Fast forward about a year later, 
the new guy is not working out. It's another late night and we're talking on instant messenger. I just kind of say when he tells me it's not working out, uh, I'm like, well, I think I would do it for real this time. And uh, <laughs> he's like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, I just feel like the timing feels better for me for whatever reason. Like it just feels, it feels better this time. And uh, it was pretty much that simple. I think like a few weeks later, I was on a flight to Minneapolis and then Jesse, who ends up being our keyboard player, was working at a pizza place with Josh at the time and his band had just broken up as well. And so they talked about starting to have a full-time keyboard player and Jesse decides, yeah, sure, I'll do that. Even though he had actually never played keyboards ever. He always played bass in bands. So (laughs) how hot can it be? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so he joins at the same time as me. I go to Minneapolis and I might be a little fuzzy on some of this timeline, but I think like two or three weeks later we went and recorded. I am the movie, like the majority of that record. Anyways, there were a few additional sessions later in the year, but the bulk of that record was recorded like two weeks after I joined the band. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Like some of those songs I'm kind of guessing my way through on that record. Uh, Right, and that was like the first time you recorded it, right? Because there was the Epitaph version that came later? Well, yes, but the bulk, like I said, the bulk of it was actually still from that initial session. Right. Basically what's different about the Epitaph version is there is an additional three or four songs. I think there's four songs that weren't on our original version, but then there also is a song that was on our original version that's not on the Epitaph version. And Matt Taylor did not play bass on the original version. Mm. And then, yeah, there's like a few little, there was some things like we went back in and kind of like maybe added some more little like overdubs here and there too. Yeah. Um, but the the bulk of the record is, is the same and was recorded pretty early on. Okay. It tripped me out big time because for the longest time, I must have like downloaded your album, sorry, back in the day, everyone was doing it. And like, that's all right. I, my <laughs> wife confessed to me recently that she downloaded our records yeah. too. So <laughs> that's funny. Everyone after I'm the movie, I've bought physically, you know, to this day as a CD, even though CDs aren't a thing anymore. But anyway, uh-huh. uh, capital H was like the original one was the one that I, I learned and knew for years. And then I heard the epitaph version and I was like, what's going on here? The vocals are different. There's an extra guitar, uh, like guitar or keyboard part. And yeah, I don't like it. I want the, the raw, like more original one. Yeah, that's a that's a problem with re-recording things. Sometimes people, whatever people hear first, tend to be the thing that they yeah. fall in love with. It was probably like nine years later, though. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I wonder. Uh, yeah, because there is there is even an original. I don't know which version you heard, but there is a version of Capital H. There's there's multiple versions. There's the Epitaph version. There's an EP version. Yes, there's a. Uh, uh, but there's also an, a split EP that we did with a band called Shotzi. And that's the, the the normal lineup of Motion City with all the five of us that was the core for so long. Right. Uh, but then, yeah, there was an EP that they did that only Josh and Justin with a different bass player and different drummer are on. And a lot of people have heard that version, too. Uh, so I, I don't, is, is that the version you heard? Do you know? I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Right. Really? It's, <laughs> It's uh, it's like in the lore of Motion City soundtrack. Now, yeah, it's, all these different versions, but it's confusing. Yeah, <laughs> when Epitaph came knocking and said, "Hey, we like this album. We want you to, you know, re-record it, and we're gonna publish it for you or distribute it." 
that must have been a pretty massive moment for a band that was still fairly new as far as like everyone being their full strength and having their first album out within not that long of a period of time. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, so uh, yeah, it was January of 2002 when Jesse and I joined in June, I think is when, uh, Matt ended up joining on bass then. And that is, that really was like the final puzzle piece that we needed. Mm. Cause I think Matt is, is one of the most talented musicians I've ever known. And he really was just like not only a great bass player, but also like brought like all the harmonies and stuff to the band. He's great at that stuff. And he's also just great at like, uh, coming up with like some additional like piano parts or keyboard parts and stuff like that. So that was a great piece that we needed uh, when Matt joined. So he joined in June and then around that same time we were starting to talk to some labels. Um, we didn't know how serious any of the interest was or anything, um, but labels were starting to talk to us and come out to shows and take us to dinner and stuff like that, um, which was very exciting. You know, we're young and just, we're still playing any and every show we can usually to not very many people. We had a big show coming up in New York that a bunch of labels were going to come to. It was like this big showcase show. And there was a lot of labels that were going to come and see us. And we played terribly (laughs) and like no exaggeration, like scared all these labels away. Wow. I forget when that was, but it was some, it was some point maybe in like the summertime of 2002 so we actually, we had to recover from that. Like we just kept staying out on the road, playing tons of shows and the opportunity kind of circled itself around again. I want to say like October or something, we had like a similar thing where it was another showcase in New York. There were going to be some labels there. We delivered that night. And uh, so then the talks got a little more serious with some other labels and we were coming out to the West coast for the first time. It was at least my first time ever coming to the West coast. They may had done a West coast run without me before I had joined, but I'm not sure. But, uh, I think it was December of 2002. We had some LA shows planned and we knew labels were coming to some of these shows while we were getting out here. We then heard from epitaph. And I remember thinking, epitaph really like it it really (laughs) surprised me like because at that point they really were like a punk label yeah like (laughs) i feel you know i think of bands like rancid and stuff like that which and i felt like we didn't i was like do we they they're interested in us like i feel like we're not like the those typical bands that they were signing because they they started branching out a little more right around that time and um and I, I, yeah, I was just, I just remember thinking that seemed strange that they were interested in us, but yeah, so, uh, they really were Brett, uh, Brett Gerowitz from Epitaph, uh, came to several of those shows and was like, really like putting it on for it. Like <laughs> took us out to several dinners. I think, I think the, our last night in town, like even like got us hotel rooms. So we had like a nice place to stay and like, just like right away was like, yeah, I, I want to sign you guys. And it happened pretty quick after that. Like, it all just kind of felt right to us. And, uh, yeah, like I said, I think that was December. And I think, like, maybe, I, again, I it's it's a long time. I can't believe how long ago all this was. But <laughs> I don't, I think it was maybe only, like, a month later or something that 
contracts started moving forward and and getting all that sorted and uh it all yeah it, it came together pretty quick then yeah that's rad and that like surely it just must have exposed you to such a, a wider audience because that's how i discovered you guys it was through one of their compilation albums the punkorama volume nine i still remember because yeah. it was massive mm-hmm. it had throwdown on it which i don't even know what that was originally recorded for because it, I don't think it was on I'm well that was movie, also but... on that uh, that split that we did with Shotzi it was it was on there yeah right by the way like possibly my favorite song for you guys oh, I love wow. it so much I don't know if it's because it's the first one I heard yeah yeah. Just, yeah I love that one yeah that's a that's a funny one I we like that one too but it was it's one of those forgotten ones yeah that doesn't really get played. well because it, it became one of those ones where most people don't know it but the people that do know it seem to mm. love it so like it, it could be a little yeah. hit or miss when we would play it live like there would be a handful of people that would freak out and most of the audience was just confused yeah <laughs> fair enough so yeah I, I mean i guess like yeah it exposed me to bands like you and the matches which are another band that i love yeah i guess it must have just changed things completely for you guys what was it like to go from you know, grinding it out and playing as many shows as possible to being on a fairly major label as far as that genre goes and that that community, that crowd. And suddenly I'm guessing that, you know, you're playing Warped Tour after that and doing all these kinds of shows with big bands. Yeah, uh, I mean, it was it was all super exciting. You know, we had, in 2002, we really just, like, toured our asses off that year and for several years after that, too. So it really, it all was this kind of slow build. Like, even though I joined at the beginning of 2002 and by the end of 2002, we were about to sign to Epitaph. Like, yes, that is like kind of quick, but like, man, at the time, and even though it was fun, like it felt longer than that because we were just out on the road Mm. constantly. So it felt Um, like you earned it. Yeah, it really did. Because, you know, and that's the thing like I was always proud of and still am is that, we were never a band that really had any luck with getting on the radio or anything like that. Like we had a little bit of success with some videos mm. here and there, nothing crazy, but like, you know, they got played here and there, but most of the, any sort of success that we got was from touring. So we were just out there touring and touring and then through touring, you know, our when we would come back to towns, like each time, like the crowds started getting a little bit bigger and, Emphasis on little bit, you know, it'd go from four four people to eight people. So uh, because of, I think, then signing with Epitaph, I think then that definitely allowed us to get on some better tours. Um, you know, it was always all about opening for people in those early days, especially because, uh, yeah, you just, you're, you're touring and touring and touring, playing every show you can, and then suddenly like, oh, we can open for sugar cult uh it would be kind of like one of the first like bigger tours we got to do and uh yeah i think i think that stuff kind of yeah it it was man it's it's again it's so weird to think back on how long ago all this stuff was but yeah that was uh so i think i am the movie came out in june of 2003 i'm i'm we i have a weird memory for dates and stuff so uh and we were we were actually on tour in uh, the UK with uh, Sugar Cult. That was our, I think that, yeah, that was our first ever trip overseas. And we happened to be in the UK 
when our first record came out touring with a pretty yeah. big band and uh yeah it was a, a really cool way to like break that first record in that is cool and so from there you're, you're touring and i'm guessing you cross paths with uh mark hoppus from blink 182 did you guys tour with them before commit this to memory yes so with that that was something where i don't know if you remember atticus clothing oh yeah back in the day I remember. That blink was involved in <laughs> so we had well, he initially wasn't our friend, but he was just somebody that worked for Atticus. Our friend Brendan, who became a good friend of ours, his name is Brendan Klein. Uh, he was just working for Atticus, and they started talking to us about they wanted to like sponsor us, and they were starting to give us some clothes and stuff. And um, Brendan started always coming to our show. They were based in San Diego, and he would always come out and uh, hang out when we were in San Diego, and we became friendly with him. And... I guess he at some point gave Mark our record and said that he should check it out and that he thought he would like it. And Mark actually did. And I remember the first we ever heard about any sort of talk of him liking us was, I want to say it was a, if memory serves correctly, there was some sort of like Rolling Stone article where he just mentioned some stuff he was listening to and he mentioned us and that was insane to us because that was by far the biggest mention yeah. of us anyone had ever done uh i think that was like late 2003 maybe he's like the cure ned's atomic dustbin motion city soundtrack <laughs> yeah, right <laughs> and uh so yeah so that was already like cool that we knew we were on their radar at the beginning of 2004 we were going to be doing part of a u.s tour uh that was going to be actually with sugar cult once again uh and a simple plan was on it and mxpx i think it was yes. this like great lineup that was going to be this huge <laughs> tour for us and we have that confirmed and then after we got that confirmed we were then offered to do a uk and european tour opening for blink and that was going to overlap with the U.S. tour that we were going to get, and we were just like, "Man, this is this is not a bad problem to have right now." <laughs> uh, and there's just there's just no way we can turn that down. So we 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 still did as much of the the that Simple Plan Sugar Cult MXPX tour that we could, and then at some point we had to leave a few days early because we were going to the U.K. to open for Blink, which was insane because at that point things were getting better and better but like we were still you know we were still playing basement shows sometimes like no no exaggeration there was a span of only a month where we both played a basement show and Wembley arena in the same month <laughs> that's amazing so it was a very strange time yeah yeah and it's like for me commit this to memory that mark produced is probably like where i guess the next three or four albums of motion city soundtrack and what people most people know them for kind of started to take shape because i am the movie was it was a lot more quirky and there was some i guess it was less uh radio friendly than what some of the albums that came forward and i guess that's an evolution of maybe justin's writing and I guess the way that he, he sings and, and the way the albums were produced over time, maybe that's just the way that I look at it anyway. Is that, uh, was Mark a, a big influence on the way that you wrote songs or anything going forward? 
you know, I don't know that he was necessarily an influence on how we wrote the songs. Uh, the recording process was definitely different and longer. Cause like, again, I am the movie that initial recording was done pretty quick. Um, and with our own money, like again, we went back once we signed with Epitaph and kind of beefed it up a little bit, but, uh, the bulk of the record was done pretty quick on a pretty low budget because that's all we could do at the time. So then suddenly we had, you know, a label behind us and a producer, not the Ed, Ed Rose who did I am the movie great producer, but it was just, you know, a much different process. Um, yeah, now suddenly we're, uh, working with Mark and, um, we had a lot more time for pre-production. That was, I think that was the first time we'd ever really done pre-production, um, cause with I am the movie, it was just like, oh, these songs are written. Now let's go record them. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas then we're working with Mark and we did like a few weeks of rehearsals out in LA before we started recording and he would come to our rehearsals and kind of listen to the songs and throw out ideas here and there. You more so on the, like the arrangement side of things, sure. like not necessarily, um, you know, just like, Hey, let's, let's add another chorus here. Make this verse twice as long and you know little things like that and he's great with that kind of stuff we always just kind of did what we wanted to do like i don't know that we necessarily like put a ton of thought in i mean we yes there was thought put into it but like not we we're like we're gonna do this like it sure. was never like this is what we're out to do it was always just kind of like we just tried to write songs that we liked and hoped yeah. that other people would like them you weren't rebranding you were just growing i guess yeah exactly yeah so uh, i want to know because justin is obviously such a huge part of of motion city soundtrack being i guess the the vocalist and the the song like the the lyric writer and so much of what makes motion city soundtrack so great was what i feel like the emotion and and the poetry that he brought to it so when you're playing in all these bands before motion city soundtrack comparing it to your experience with the band how much of the success for you is falling in with the right people and if justin's like the like the the front man i guess there's a lot of that on his shoulders but i guess that you could be one of the best drummers in the world technically but if you're with the wrong vocalist or with the wrong front man it's not really going to go anywhere yeah i I think yeah definitely you got to find the right you got i mean a lot of it is luck honestly of like just finding these right people and and just what makes sense um because yeah i've definitely i've played with a lot of different people and there are some people that you start playing with and Sometimes it's immediately like, oh, I don't like this. This isn't fun. <laughs> uh, and sometimes it's the exact opposite where immediately it's like, oh, yeah, this this is yeah, this this is the person I want to play with. And um, or you might be you might see a drummer and you're like, you're too good for, for that band. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. And then, the, you know, yeah. but and I think personally, I think drummers can make or break a band sometimes because, yeah. I've seen bands that I thought were decent and like had a really bad drummer that just ruined the whole band for me. Yeah. There's the pieces. There is like a weird, I don't know. I don't want to say magic to it. Cause that sounds super cheesy, but it's something let's go with, let's go with magic adjacent. <laughs> it uh, <laughs> needs to be there to kind of just make it all kind of fall in place. And you know, it's not, doesn't magically fall in place. You have to work for it, but mm. uh I will say like sometimes sometimes there are like these kind of magic moments that happen where sometimes songs 
just would happen really fast. And I will say that I'll give Justin credit for some of those moments because sometimes we would, somebody would start playing something and just like immediately he would start singing these catchy melodies over the top of it sometimes. And sometimes even like words right away too. Well. Like not just kind of like la la la, like actually start like lyrics. I'm like, how are you doing that? And a lot of our songs kind of did come that way. Like we have songs that would take us years to get to where we like, cause there were some songs that we started for one record that we just never got when mm. we brought back for r- later records. And sometimes it was like that, but then also there were songs that just like fell together so quickly. We had a weird habit of, of that happening where like at the last second for a lot of our records, we would just write a brand new song at the last second and it would be, end up being like one of the best songs on the record. Sometimes end up being what would go on to be like the single. Like I think I'm pretty sure everything is all right. was written very late in the process hold me down was as well yeah there's there i'm blanking now but there there's there's a handful of songs there's almost a song on each record that was like not going to be on the record and then suddenly at the last second this song was written really fast and we all loved it and it just turned out to be good stuff that's cool you mentioned a bit of international touring and it's kind of going back to the epitaph thing again but do you think that there's an illusion with musicians where once like people think once they're on this label and once you're touring internationally you must be financially in a really good place because that was kind of my impression it's like you wouldn't be flying all of your gear to australia if you weren't doing all right but then i went to see the matches 10 year anniversary show for i think it was yvonne dark kill the locals and i i got talking to john the guitarist Mm-hmm. And he was saying how he's playing weddings and he's like running a, a recording studio. And these are the things that he has to do to make a living, even though the matches were still playing. And it kind of blew my mind because I just figure someone that's been on Epitaph, I don't know what their situation was later on, but I just figure someone who's been in a band that tours internationally and plays at festivals and Soundwave and all that kind of thing, that they don't have to... I guess scraped by not that it, not not to put him down or anything, but I just imagined that the money kind of comes pouring in. But I guess it's not like that, right? No, it is. It is nothing <laughs> like that. Uh, you know, we. Do you find that that's a misconception about a band that is signed to a, a record label and, and it's touring internationally? Yeah, I think I think people misunderstand how a lot of the stuff works. Yes, while we were touring. You know, or the early days, not so much, but obviously once we had signed Epitaph and, you know, got a little bit of money from nothing crazy, but got a little bit of money from signing, you know, to just at least make things a little more comfortable. And then it, it and then through touring, started doing better with touring. Really, you make your money from merch, really. Mm-hmm. And so that that started doing better. And we all got to a point where we were now playing music for a living and we were by no means making a lot of money but we were we were able to pay our bills playing music which is really that was what we wanted like we weren't like if we can do that cool yeah everybody thinks you make a lot more money than you do and and you know you saying like fly all your gear over to australia and stuff that's not even what happens like they would bring their guitars and i would bring like cymbals and drumsticks basically and everything else is rental gear with a sticker on it yes exactly uh, and yeah, and, and, you know, 
again, you're paying your bills doing this. Well, we were, but even a lot of bands that you'll see touring, like they're still going home and having to like go back to a whatever job it is. Like touring is like their fun mm-hmm. getaway in a way. Thankfully, we weren't really having to like go home and, and pick up jobs in between tours. But, uh, you know, now that it's all done, like, yeah, we still get some, some money here and there from, like, royalties and, and things like that. But, like, I'm not living off of Motion City soundtrack <laughs> by by sure. any means. Uh, you know, I'm same thing. Like, I am I play some wedding gigs and, and do a lot of random different where, like, I produce podcasts for people and engineer podcasts and even do some like driving and stuff to make some money here and there. Like music is uh it's a great thing when you can do it full time and make a living off of it, but it's, mm. it's hard and it's probably not going, unless you're, you know, Bruce Springsteen or something huge like that. Yeah. It, you're probably <laughs> not going to live off of it for the rest of your life. Sure. And is it even harder now? I guess we can put our old man hats on again and say 15 years ago, CD sales were a lot more of a thing than they are now. Yeah. Is it even harder now with without that stream of revenue or was it negligible to begin with? Yeah, I mean, I think it is harder now, but it was never great to begin with. Again, yeah. you make most of your money from touring and from from merch sales and all that and mm. Um, yeah, but that's it, why I never felt too bad about the all the downloading back in the day. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. excuses, <laughs> I would excuses. buy the t-shirts and I would go and see you. Like I saw you guys five times and I bought three t-shirts. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's tricky, <laughs> and 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 everything you do, you know, that somebody is taking some of your money. You know, like whether it be the label because you know they give you money up front to record, but then you they want to get that money back from you. And then you have managers that are taking some of your money and booking agents that are taking some of your money. And then even the venues, like you, they get a percentage of the merch that you sell and like every every step along the way, somebody's taking some of your money from you. For a, a group of, of guys like yourselves that were touring together, you were basically living together for large parts of the year. Mm-hmm. Is there complications of mixing business with friendship? Does that get complicated how do you how do you work through those kinds of issues? Yeah, it's not easy. You know, we were lucky. Yes, we could drive each other crazy at times, but there was never a lot of like fighting. Like I hear about bands getting in these huge fights and stuff, and we were never really that. You end, went to the o- Oasis, the Gallagher Brothers. <laughs> no, right? Yeah, we were we were lucky to not really have things like that. Like we could definitely drive each other insane and want to get away from each other, but uh, it never really got ugly or anything like that. But it is hard, you know, like what I always, when people ask me about it, I always, you know, tell them, imagine whatever, whatever it is you do for a living. Imagine when you go to work and let's pretend you, let's say you like, even love your coworkers. You, you get along great with all of them. Well, imagine at the end of the day, <laughs> you don't go home. You just stay with those people 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yeah, there's just there's no escape really <laughs> for months and at a time. And, uh, you know, that can really kind of wear on you after a while. And you just you can get to where you really relish alone time because mm. uh, it can be hard to find. And so, yeah, that's that's a thing I, I 
like sometimes younger musicians will like ask questions about touring and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, find, find ways to get away <laughs> sometimes. Cause you really, you really need it. Cause everyone will start driving you crazy. Sure. And so when it came time for you to step away from motion city soundtrack while they were still recording and touring and everything, I imagine that not only must've been a really difficult thing professionally, but from that perspective of leaving your friends in this band that you helped create, right? Yeah, it was, you know, it was, it was really tough, but I also knew that I really needed it. I just was really going through some severe depression issues at the time and, uh, just was really not happy. And I think I thought a lot of it was band related, which, which some of it was, but, uh, it was also, it was, it, but it wasn't solely that it was just kind of life in general for me. I just kind of wasn't happy with a lot of things going on in my life. And, uh, I needed to make some changes and I I really knew that. And I, and I stood by that and I never, when I left, I never ever regretted it. Um, I knew it was what I needed. Uh, it was hard. It was definitely one of the hardest things I ever did was make that decision and actually tell them that I was going to leave. I had initially talked to Matt, and kind of told him what was going on. And then he talked to the rest of the guys. And then like the next day we all had like a big conference call and they knew what was coming. So in a way I didn't really have to say a lot, which was good because I could hardly speak. Like I really just couldn't get the words out. And it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was hard, but necessary. Mm. Yeah. I never, I never really looked back on it though. Cause I really knew I needed it. The, the biggest problem I think that I had was what next? Like, I really didn't know what the next move for me was because like I said, I don't really know how to do anything other than play drums. And that's a problem that even though I'm uh, in a much better mental state these days and so much happier now that the band is, is done uh, like as a whole. Yeah. I'm still like, well, uh, now what? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. Mm. So now you just do a Christmas podcast about <laughs> yes, Christmas songs, exactly. <laughs> just what everyone wanted and, and Star uh, Wars yes. parodies. Yeah, <laughs> I'm waiting for like the the Lost uh, parody podcast or whatever. The <laughs> Man, that was uh, yeah. Lost took over my life there for a while, and uh, I've revisited it a few times. I still, I still enjoy it. A, a lot of people really just I, shit yeah. on it after after the end, but I, that was fine with the way it ended. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I uh, one of my like regrets is that I can't convince my wife to get past like season two. I just really want to watch it again. I just want to binge it. Oh, right. yeah, I got to do that with my wife when we kind of when we kind of were first dating. I was like, she had never seen it, and I got her to watch it all, and she was she was super in. Like, I think kind of like everyone else, that last season she started fading a little bit, but uh, yeah, up until then she was super in. Yeah, Yeah. I'm an apologist. I'm I'm with you on that. Yeah. So. I wanted to ask what would be the hardest part of getting to where you are now, I guess, as a drummer who was in a successful band, you've talked already about all the grind involved, what it's like to tour with people, uh, you know, the financial stuff. What would you say has been the hardest thing that you've had to overcome to get to the point you are now where you're, you know, you're a career musician, you might do some other work, but you've been able to make music your life, which is pretty awesome. Well, the the biggest challenge was... Again, when I really was uh, 
having the depression issues and everything like I, that was really, really rough and, uh, took a long time to get past that. And it's something I still struggle with from time to time, but it's so, it's so much better than it was. But I, th- I think the years of touring, especially at the extreme level that we did it, it really can wear you down. It's really great in a lot of ways. It's really fun. I got to, you know, meet so many people that I never would have met otherwise, see all these places that I never would have seen. Like we toured, I've been to 16 countries, I think is the number. And uh, like I probably maybe would have been to Canada if I hadn't (laughs) toured, you know, and that's about it. That's amazing. But, you know, there are downsides that make that hard because you're just, you're gone so much and you miss a ton of stuff. Um, you know, I've missed so many friends and family's birthdays and weddings and just all these major life events that you kind of just, you have to miss because this is your job and it's just kind of the way it works. If you want to try and succeed, you gotta, you gotta take this tour opening for this huge band because it's going to be great for your career and you got to miss your friend's wedding because of that, you know, and just, yeah, it's just it's those little things that I think over time add up and start getting to you. It's very exciting at first and then there's still lots of moments of excitement to it, but yeah, it'll 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 get to you at times. Sure. So if you have the opportunity to be in another Motion City soundtrack, a different band but at that same level, is that something you would jump at or is it some is it more like you've done that and now it's finding another way to live life? You know, if you had asked me that a couple of years ago, I think I would have said that I'm done, but again, you know, life goes in directions that you, you don't expect sometimes and things change. And so when I, when I left, I was in such a a bad state, but, uh, I made a lot of then life changes eventually and ended up meeting my wife and, you know, we got married last year and it's just so much happier these days. And, you know, in 2016, I went back for the farewell tour. And when I went back for that, it was, it was a reminder of the good and Mm. the bad, but mostly good. And now that it's done, because, you know, like I said, initially when I left on my own accord, I never regretted it. I'd never even really missed it so much. It was just kind of like, I'm moving on what's next for me. Um, then after I went back and it's, and now that it's done, I do find myself missing it and I'm a lot more open-minded to touring more and, and playing music. I think I just kind of, I needed to get away from it for a little bit for my own mental health and, uh, and yeah, and now I'm having a lot more fun playing music. Uh, again and um have done a, a little bit of tour i'm uh, getting to hop on like a lot of random gigs around la and stuff but then also i'm playing in a band with my wife a band called tiny stills um and i've done a little bit of touring with her with that and that's been really fun um you know those are smaller tours i don't know that i'm necessarily willing to hop in the van <laughs> with just anybody <laughs> but uh you know, if the right if the right thing comes along, uh, I'm I'm definitely open minded to it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, and it was really good to see you back for that farewell tour. I guess uh, after a few years of uh, of being away, good way to close it out. I think. Yeah, it was it was 
it was a great time and i was glad we yeah at the last second got a uh some australian dates added yes so we got over there i needed that closure <laughs> actually funny <laughs> funny uh funny story about that uh when we came to australia uh so my birthday is september 6th and because of how those flights work uh we left los angeles to fly to australia on september 5th and then you crossed the date <laughs> line and we landed on the 7th so i did not get a birthday oh, that no. year <laughs> that means that uh you get to live an extra year at the end of your life that's the rule exactly yeah. Yep. <laughs> so Tony, just a couple more questions and I'll let you go. What would be your advice to musicians who maybe maybe they're touring, they're like you were in the early days of playing in basements and they're facing the grind. What's your advice to people of uh getting through it and making it into a career? Uh I mean, simply just have fun and work hard. Like find a way to those things maybe are hard to be hand in hand sometimes, but I think those are the keys. Cause like, don't expect anything to be handed to you. Um, again, I'm proud of where we got to from, from working hard and just touring like crazy. And, but also that needs to be fun. Cause I think like, if you're not having fun doing that, then you're probably going to be miserable because if it's not fun to you, then yeah, it's like, why are you, why are you doing it? Cause Otherwise you're, you're not having fun and then you're on the road missing out on all these things that could be important to you. The, you know, again, those things with family and friends that, so if you're, if you're away from all that stuff and you're not having fun, then maybe, maybe it's not for you. I think people can probably get too focused on where they think that they're headed and they're not looking at what's happening you know, at the moment, because what's happening at the moment could be what you have to deal with for the next however many years. Exactly. And yeah, you're, the early days are going to be hard. You're going to play a lot of shows to no one. Like we, yeah, like literally no one sometimes. We, <laughs> I, we had a, we had a show canceled one time because not even the sound guy showed up. Wow. <laughs> so <laughs> oh, man. that is not an exaggeration. That's a great story. Not even the sound guy <laughs> wanted to hear you. Yeah. No tickets were sold. And the sound guy didn't even show up, so the venue just canceled the show. And fun fact, that show was with the All-American Rejects. <laughs> it was before anyone knew who either one of us was. crazy. Who we went on to actually have a bit of radio success. Yep. So, Tony, the last question for you that I always ask everyone. It's, if you could do anything and know that you wouldn't fail, what would you do? Oh, man. That's a good question. Oh, that's tough. I have a... I, it <laughs> they just mumble <laughs> uh, there's like a couple fascinations i think i've always had outside of music and they they feel silly to say out loud but i've i've always been a huge comedy fan it's not a thing i've ever felt like i could necessarily pursue but i've always enjoyed it and i like being the last several years i have a lot of friends in the comedy world and i've i've been like lightly involved but i'm not necessarily in that world but i'm again i'll use the word adjacent to it um so that's a world i enjoy and i also and another weird answer is i've always been kind of interested in puppets (laughs) i know that's such a weird answer but uh i grew up loving the muppets and it's like a thing that i i still 
love. And it's, it's one of those things where I'm like, why didn't I ever like kind of get into that a little more? That's maybe kind of a dorky answer, but it's the truth. So you basically, you want to write like the Dracula Muppet musical from uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yes. That that is one of my favorite movies ever. So, yeah. I mean, it combines (laughs) your, you know, your skill in music with comedy and puppets. So, Let's make it happen. Yeah, that's a, that's the thing. I think yeah, that's why I like some of that stuff. Is that that could be a way to like combine all the things that I really like. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I'll keep an eye out for that. Maybe maybe you can combine <laughs> it with like Christmas and Star Wars and Lost as well, and you can just have yes. everything. <laughs> yes. Now we're on to it. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. And I want to share one of my favorite Motion City soundtrack memories with you before I let you go. And it was when you guys were supporting Jimmy Eat World and Sunny Day Real Estate over here yeah which was crazy that we got to play that show (laughs) yeah (laughs) and it was while sunny day real estate were playing and i could see a bunch of you guys i can't remember specifically who but josh was definitely there and you were watching from the side of the stage and Uh like air drumming and air guitaring and singing along to these songs from uh, sunny day real estate i'm guessing a band that you'd grown up with uh at least some of you and it just showed me like these guys are just like us in the audience. Like you're just in awe of this band that you've been listening to for 15 or 20 years and you just want to see them play. And that was a really cool thing. I thought, yeah, well thank Yeah. I mean, you know, I think you play music because you like music, you know? So like, yeah, everybody has influences and bands that they were super into and, um, but I think a lot of people are like, especially creative people can be like a little bit too cool for school. And like, I'm not going to show how much of a, a fanboy I am. I'm just going to act like I've been here before. But it was very obvious that you guys were like absolutely loving the fact that you got to share the stage with those guys. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that yeah, because again, you grow up listening to some of those bands. For me personally, I'm not saying this as a slam on Sunny Day Real Estate, but I was, <laughs> I'm more of a Jimmy World fan personally. Uh, Me too. <laughs> and had been listening to them since probably 97, 98, something like that. It was exciting to, uh, we had played with them, I think only once before. And uh, so, but it was, it was exciting to, to play with them. And, and then the fact that we're playing with them and we're in Australia and, uh, yeah, it's just all these like things. It's like sometimes you're like, man, life's life's pretty cool sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it was a great show. All right, well, man, thanks for your time. I, uh, I've mentioned a couple of times how old I am, and I feel like every show that I go to now is either like a 10-year anniversary show or a reunion show. So hopefully you guys in Merchant City Soundtrack can get back together one day and do a bit of a tour, but who knows? We'll see what happens. Who knows? <laughs> I'll never tell. <laughs> Thank you for listening and thanks to Audio Technica. You can catch Tony on Twitter at Tony Thaxton. Head over to his website, TonyThaxton.com, for all of his Patreon and other information if you want to support him. You can support this show if you enjoyed the podcast by leaving an iTunes review or a five-star rating. It really goes a long way to help out. There's also some sweet putting in work merchandise over at 8bit.net slash P-I-W. That's A-T-E-B-I-T. You can follow me on the social medias at Jono himself. And until next week, keep putting in work.